as I was reading this week and studying different things, one of the things they say is pastors feel the most pressure on Easter Sunday. They feel like they have to come up here and hit a home run or have the best message that they've ever given in their entire lives. Well, I'm here to tell you today that the home run's already been hit, and the message, the greatest message to ever be spoken, takes care of itself in the Word. And for me, that gives me rest because I don't have to come up in here and do anything special. I don't have to come up here and do anything extravagant. I don't have to come up here and do a backflip to get everybody excited because we should have enough right here in the Word of God that should move us and get us excited and move us towards wanting to know this risen Savior more. And as I sat all week and stewing over this passage and what I wanted to preach over, I found rest in that, knowing that I don't have to do anything but just be a willing vessel to deliver what is in this word to all of us this morning, not just to you, but to me as well. Um, I want us to think about something for a second. I want us to uh, use our imaginations a little bit, put ourselves in other people's shoes for a second. I want us to think about the disciples. I want us to think about the disciples for a second. We harp on these guys all the time about just how little they understood, um, just how frustrating they must have been for Jesus. But I think that these guys went through such an emotional roller coaster in their time in being disciples of Christ. These guys were there for the highs, they were there for the lows, and no higher moment do I think that they had than what we celebrated last Sunday in Palm Sunday as they rode through the streets there in Jerusalem as Christ was laying down and they were laying the palm branches down. At that moment, the disciples thought, here it is, the epitome of what we have chosen to follow, the epitome of the kingdom that is coming. And today, we get to just soak in all the celebration of the people that are cheering. And then as they go throughout that week, Christ begins to do different things and teach different things. And they're sitting there and they're pumped. They're, Sunday has got them jacked. And then they go into Passover weekend and they go up into the upper room and Christ begins to, uh, he, he expresses to them how he has eagerly desired to have this Passover meal with them. And they're just excited because they're together and they're with their king, they're with their savior and they're sitting there at the Passover table enjoying every moment that they have, not knowing that even as they has ex have experienced the highest of high of their ministry with Jesus, they are about to experience the lowest of low in their ministry with Jesus. That Good Friday was the lowest moment, I believe, for the disciples in their ministry with Jesus. It said, we read in there that when Christ was crucified on the cross, the disciples were nowhere to be found but just one. They had ran and they hid, and as we try to just infer a little bit on what was going through their minds. These guys were, be, they were in hiding because if they knew that they were connected with the one that they had just crucified so brutally, that they would be next because they were the ones that were his disciples, his closest followers. So I believe that they were hiding, lost, scared, having no idea, having no hope of what was to come next. And interesting enough, we would be in the same shoes that they are 
if there was no resurrection. We would be lost, we would be scared, we would be without hope, and we would just really have no purpose for living whatsoever. So as we realize the importance of the resurrection, I wanted to point back on the effect that not knowing that the resurrection was going to come in Christ as how the disciples responded to that. And yeah, we could sit there and say, they didn't know. I mean, he told them several times, did he not? We, we, we know enough about the disciples to know that it just never really clicked up here for them. But we see a picture of what they would, how we would respond if there was no resurrection. But thankfully, we have the blessings, brothers and sisters, to be on the other side of the resurrection. We know what happened after three days after he, was, after he had been crucified. He rose from the grave and defeated death. And Paul does a very good job at this and what our main text is going to be this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth here about the importance of the resurrection. And as he goes and talks about this, he goes into detail about what would happen if there was no resurrection. So let's dive into our text this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to be starting at verse 14. It says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised." And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of people to be most pitied. Now, my passage goes into verse 20 and 22, but I want to save that. I want to save that news for just a little bit. So we'll go into that here at the end. Let's bow with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now. God, we thank you, Father, for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to dive into your word. God, we thank you for your word and the truth that it speaks to our lives. Father, Lord, I thank you, Father. There's nothing I have to add to the scriptures this morning, Father God, to make it more pertinent, to make it more applicable, to make it more exciting. But Father God, Lord, you give us life. You give us life through this word. And Father, Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would use this double-edged sword to pierce our hearts, Father God, to bring us understanding, to convict where we need to be convicted, to encourage where we need to be encouraged. But Father God, ultimately, bring us back to bring you honor and glory and praise in who you are and what you did by sending your son down and, Lord, ultimately rising from the dead. Father God, I ask right now, Lord, that you would just remove me of myself, fill me with your spirit, Father God, to bring this message not of you, but of, or not from me, but of you, Father. Lord, we ask all these things in your son's holy name, and everybody said, amen. So let's go ahead and get the basis of this text and understand where Paul is coming from when he is talking to the church in Corinth, all right? Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, is, is, uh, he is uh, addressing a false doctrine that is starting to 
take root in the church in Corinth. Now, if we know anything about the church in Corinth, they had a lot going on. I mean, we're in chapter 15, but for the first 14 chapters, Paul has been dealing with a lot of stuff that's been going on in there. And now he's dealing with yet another problem we see in the church in Corinth, and that is that the belief of the church in Corinth, there's a belief going around that yes, they believe that Christ rose from the dead, but they do not believe that we as human beings will rise from the dead. And what Paul is trying to bring out here is that an aspect of the resurrection is that in Christ's resurrection, there is our resurrection. Paul makes this very clear in Romans chapter 6 when he talks about how if we have died with Christ, we are yet risen with Christ. So if we ourselves are not risen, then Christ is not risen. And what Paul begins to do here is what I feel is important for us because what happens sometimes in our Christian beliefs and what happens in the the world is if we start to un, un, uh, unwind just a little bit of the scriptures and we start to pull out even a little bit, everything starts to come apart. If we believe one thing that, uh, against what scripture says, the entire doctrine of Christ, the entire Bible can start to be unraveled. So Paul is being very intentional here as the pastor in making sure that these individuals know that if they are missing out on this principle of resurrection, just in a sense of believing that we are not risen with Christ, then they are ultimately belittling the foundation of Christianity, which is the resurrection of Christ. So he's making sure to bring out this point, and what he's going to do here is he's going to demonstrate for them, if you don't believe this, then this is not true as well, and if this is not true, then all of these things are not true. It starts to fall. It's kind of like a domino effect. You knock this domino over, then they're all going to fall. And in denying our resurrection, they ultimately are denying Christ's resurrection, Paul says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, which they do not believe, then not even Christ has been raised. And as I said before, Romans 6, 5 says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly, certainly be united in him in resurrection like his. So the gospel is a whole. The gospel is a whole. Removing one aspect of it makes the gospel not the gospel. The resurrection legitimizes every aspect of the gospel. It legitimizes everything that we celebrated this week and everything that Christ preached in his ministry. If we take away the resurrection, none of the else what Christ did mattered. You take that part out of Christianity, it is just like every religion that's here on earth. This is what sets apart Christianity from Buddhism. This is what separates Christianity from Islam. This is what separates Christianity from fill in the blank. Whatever religion you can think of, the figure or the main person of that religion has died and moved on. They're no longer there. But in Christianity, Christ, the Savior, the figure of Christianity, is risen from the dead and he is alive. So we have to make sure that this portion of the gospel, the resurrection, is at the forefront of our gospel message, not only to ourselves that we believe, but to the people that we preach the gospel to. Because if we miss the resurrection, we miss everything else. 
So in this belief that Paul is teaching to the church in Corinth, he makes them understand the implications of not believing in the resurrection. So let's play the what-if game with Paul this morning. Let's play the what-if game. And hopefully in playing this what-if game, we recognize the importance and the, how instrumental the resurrection is in our Christian faith. So let's dive right in. Verse 14. So the what-if game is, what if there was no resurrection? What if there was no resurrection? I made sure to let people know when I sent this title out to everybody on the leadership team and the media people and all this stuff this week that I was not going to come up, up here and try to disprove the resurrection this morning. I didn't want them to start spouting heresy before I started even coming up here. That's not what I'm doing this morning. I'm not up here to try to disprove the resurrection because honestly, if I did, Alistair Begg had a series this week on resurrection. There's more evidence to point towards resurrection than there is to point against it. And I encourage you to check that out on uh, Truth for Life, Alistair Begg, and he explains those, but it's great. So, if the resurrection of Christ didn't happen, then what's it say in verse 14? Our preaching and our faith is in vain. What is it that we preach? What is it that we stand up here behind the pulpit? What is it that you preach to other people? It is the gospel. The gospel. Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died the death for our sins and then rose from the grave in three days to conquer death. That is what we preach. That is the gospel in full of what we are to share with other people. And hopefully what you guys have heard, myself or Kevin or Eric or anybody here at this church, teach or preach that that is the true gospel. But if the last part is not true, as I've mentioned before, what is the purpose of us teaching? What is the purpose of us preaching this morning? It becomes pointless and false. And it was the foundation of which the church in Acts, the very first church, built the church upon. If you read in Acts 2, 23 to 32, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, it was all about the resurrection of Christ. Further on along, Paul, several times in Acts, preaches to people with the resurrection as the foundation of his message. And if we want to go even deeper than that, what really made people mad during this time, what really got the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all the E's all mad during this entire preaching period of the movement of the first church was the resurrection. That's what got them fired up. It wasn't Christ's teachings. It was the fact that they argued that Christ had risen from the dead. So to, make, to take that point out would have been easier for them to preach because then that, therefore, they wouldn't be persecuted. But it was the foundation of their message, so they had to preach that. So if there was no resurrection, what would be the point of me standing up here today? To be quite honest, what would be the point of us gathering together today? To be honest with you, what would be the point of us celebrating today? What would be the point of Easter Shouldn't ask that because I mean, we've 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 so modernized Easter and the Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and all this other stuff. So we'd probably still have it, but it wouldn't have the effect that it has on us as the church if the resurrection didn't happen. Jared C. Wilson, a pastor, says this. He says, "If the resurrection isn't true, 
then we should all just stay home. Because to be honest, religion makes a pretty lame hobby. I mean, if we just gathered here today without the resurrection, it'd be pretty lame. You guys come sit here and you listen to me preach. I mean, I bore myself sometimes. It would be pretty lame if that was just a hobby that we had. But we gather together because we have a hope. We gather together because our Savior is alive. We gather together because the resurrection has happened. But we have nothing to place our faith in if the resurrection never occurred. Faith is believing in the finished work of Christ. But brothers and sisters, that work is not finished unless he conquers death. We put our faith in the finished work of Christ, but that, that work is not finished if he doesn't raise from the dead. It doesn't, it's not finished. He goes on to say in verse 15 that if the resurrection did not occur, then we are misrepresenting Christ. It says we are found even to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So without the resurrection, then the apostles' message that they preached in their ministries of the resurrected Christ would all be a lie. The foundation of their message would be destroyed and they would be labeled as false teachers if the resurrection did not happen. Christianity becomes a false religion without the resurrection. Christianity becomes a false religion without the resurrection because it's so foundational. So if we are saying that God did not raise Christ from the dead, then we are misrepresenting who God is, correct? If we are saying that God did not raise Christ from the dead, then God is not a sovereign God, that he is not an all-powerful God, that he is not an all-loving God. Everything that we have represented and taught about God is not true if the resurrection did not happen. So we're misrepresenting God in that. If the resurrection didn't happen, sin would still reign. Sin would still reign. Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Are you guys noticing a theme here with Paul's message? Are you noticing a theme? Paul's message on the repercussions of the resurrection not happening, it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse and worse. One commentary I read on Paul's progression that he goes through here is this. He said, if there is no principle of resurrection, which is where the Corinthian church lacked, they lacked a principle or understanding of resurrection, then Jesus did not rise from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then death has power over him and has defeated him. If death has power over Jesus, he is not God. If Jesus is not God, he cannot offer a complete sacrifice for our sins. And if Jesus cannot offer a complete sacrifice for our sins, then our sins are not completely paid for before God. And if our sins are not completely paid for before God, then we are still in our sins. 
Therefore, if Jesus is not risen from the grave, brothers and sisters, it is unable for us to be saved. Do you understand the importance and the power of resurrection and how it just plays all the way down to the very fact that if Christ did not raise from the grave, we ourselves could not be saved. It had to happen. Christ's death on the cross was the death needed to defeat sin once and for all. But see, the atonement for sin prior to Christ was temporary because it was, an, uh, it was a blemished, unperfect sacrifice that they were giving. But it was a temporary atonement for their sins. But when Christ went to the cross, he went as the unblemished, sinless lamb. He was being made perfect into the perfect sacrifice. But without the resurrection, Christ's death means nothing. It means nothing. Because if Christ died on that cross, a death he was trying to die to sin, and he did not raise, then sin would come out victorious, and sin would still reign in our lives. The old DTP line that Mr. Alex Knapp always uses is that sin always will remain, but it will never reign. But it will reign if Christ never rose from the grave. It will reign if Christ never rose from the grave. And if that's true, if that's true, if sin would still remain, then the same is to say about death. If the resurrection of Christ never happened, then death would win. Paul goes on to say that in those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So if sin would be victorious, then the wages of sin, according to Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Therefore, if death would be the end all for all of us, then those who have gone before us in death will not be risen with Christ as well. Death is the end result if Christ is not risen from the grave. We talk about all the time. You know what I hear all the time from people when they're going through a death in their family? Anytime that someone close has been passed on or has died suddenly, and it's a believer in the church, they always tell me, they say, they're in a better place. Or they say, I'm glad that they're home with their Lord and Savior. Or they say, Josh, I don't know how people get through this without faith. And that's so true because when death was defeated on the cross and finally finished in the resurrection of the grave, death loses its sting over us. So death, yes, while it might hurt in an earthly sense, we find hope in death knowing that death is not the end result for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ defeated death, therefore we can defeat death as well. The resurrection is a part of who we are because of the resurrection of Christ. So death does not win. But if Christ did not rise from the dead, eternal life would be non-existent. And death would be the final end game in our life. And lastly, Paul says, 
all hope would be gone. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, we as Christians understand that hope does not exist outside of Christ. And the reason we understand this is because we place our hope in things all the time and get let down all the time. But we, what we do understand is that the hope that we find in Christ is a hope that is everlasting. It is a hope that never ends. It is a hope that we can hold on to even in the hardest of circumstances. But if we don't have hope in Christ, if the resurrection did not happen, then the only hope we have to grab onto is the hope that this world has to offer. And if the world is the only source of hope, and we as Christians do not believe in the resurrection or it did not happen, and us as Christians are follower of Jesus, what does it say the follower of Jesus' life will be like here on this earth? Is it going to be all rainbows, unicorns, and happy times? No, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be suffering. So what Paul is saying here, if we do not have the hope of the afterlife with Christ, the only hope that we have is that in the world. But if we are Christians and we, and we are united with Christ, but yet he didn't rise, then what hope do we have? Because we are the most to be pitied because we're called to suffering. We're called to persecution. We walk around hopeless. And this is where I feel like the disciples landed. They placed all their hope. They left their jobs. They left their comfort. They left their families to follow Christ. And they clung on to the hope of who Christ was. And that's what got them through all the difficult times, all the bad conditions, all the persecution that they faced, all the hate that was thrown out, the, out at them. And when Christ died on that cross, what happened to that hope? It's gone. Because the person that they had placed their hope in was gone. That's the feeling of hopelessness that we would have if the resurrection did not happen. Do you see the importance of resurrection when it comes to your Christian faith? Without it, the entire religion of Christianity unravels. Christ becomes irrelevant. The entire gospel loses its power without the resurrection. And what is the result of all of those things? It results in us living hopeless lives. Martin Luther once said, everything depends on our retaining a firm hold of this doctrine. In particular, for this one totters and no longer counts, all the others will lose their value and validity. If you miss out on the doctrine of resurrection, then everything that you believe outside of the resurrection has no purpose. It doesn't matter. And that's what Paul's trying to address here with the church in Corinth. If you miss out on the principle of resurrection, then the rest of your faith will start to unravel and you will become in a hopeless state 
Because nothing else can happen unless the resurrection of Christ happens. Charles Spurgeon said, if Jesus rose, then the gospel is what it professes to be. If he rose not from dead, then it is all deceit and delusion. Do we understand the importance of the resurrection? I talked to Sean Otto earlier this week, and he was just checking in, and I told him I was preaching this Sunday, and he asked what I was preaching on. I told him I was preaching on 1 Corinthians 15, 14 to 22, and he said he preached on that last Easter, whenever it was his turn to uh, preach in the Easter. He preached uh, this particular passage, and he said he titled that message, How to Be Miserable. How to Be Miserable. And I thought, wow, I said, how true is that? Because that is honestly the state of which we would be if the resurrection didn't happen. We would be in a completely miserable state. But guess what? Here's the best part of the message. Here's the best part of the message. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Go back, 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, but, but by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. We do not have to live a miserable life because he did rise from the grave. I thought I'd get more of a, amen. It's all right. It's okay. Usually when you tell people they don't have to be miserable, that's like, oh, thank you. Yes. That's what you get. That's what you get in the resurrection. You don't have to live a miserable life anymore. You have life. You have hope. You have your sins defeated. The death has been paid. You have now been risen with Christ in the newness of life that he has given us. Jesus said he would he rose from the grave. He said he would, and he did it. And in doing so, he accomplished a few things. In Christ's resurrection, he accomplished a few things. He proved his divinity. He proved that he was God in the resurrection of the grave. He conquered sin and death in the resurrection of the grave. And guess what? He assured you of your resurrection from the dead when his resurrection from the grave. And in his resurrection from the grave, he gave us hope for tomorrow. Thank you for the faint amen over here. He gave us hope for tomorrow in the resurrection of the grave. I told you before to think about the disciples on the day that Christ was dead. Think about them for those three days, how miserable, hopeless, and lost that they would have been. But what changes whenever they realize that Christ has risen? 
Because we see them fleeing from the crowds, we see them in hiding, we see them in this hopeless, miserable state, and yet these were the preachers and the evangelists of the first church. What changed? The resurrection changed. The resurrection changed their lives forever and gave them the assurance that Christ was who he said he was. That he still is alive and active in their lives. The Messiah had come to take away the sins of the world, and yet he still is alive today. We're learning. (laughs) That is exactly what our hope is. And it is the hope that drove the disciples to be the preachers and evangelists that we see and read of them in Acts. Because if Christ remained in the grave, the disciples would have no hope and no purpose of furthering their ministry here on this earth. They would be done. So my question to you today is, has your life been drastically changed by the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Because I'm afraid sometimes that Easter, the Easter season becomes too much time of celebration and not enough time of remembrance. Now get me, don't hear me out. You're sitting there, Josh, you're telling us to woo and amen, and then you're telling us it becomes too much of celebration? No, what I'm telling you is, I think it becomes too much celebrating and not enough remembering, but if you spent more time remembering, then you would celebrate all the time. Because we have to understand that if this is the driving force behind our hope, if this is the driving force behind why we live, if this is the driving force that got you here to this church today, then we have to keep remembering what was done for us on the cross. And that that was not the end story, but that was just the beginning because three days later he rose and defeated death. We need to have more of a time of recognizing the resurrection and just not enough time of just remaining where we are. If you find yourself in a state of just stagnant, you just you, you feel like you're not growing, you feel like every day is just blah. What is this life about? What is my purpose? Brothers and sisters, it's this. It's this. Christ did not go to the cross, die, and then raise three days later so that we could feel bleh. But Christ died on the cross and rose three days later so that he could give our lives purpose, that he could give our lives meaning, that he could give our lives life. Because if you take away the gospel, you take away the resurrection, there is no purpose for living. That's a very bold statement, but I fully stand behind it today. If you take away the resurrection of Christ, there is no purpose for living. But his resurrection gives us purpose, and that is to walk in the newness of life that he has given us. In Romans 6, when it tells us that we have died the death that Christ has died, and we much, we much more, just the same, would be risen in the resurrection of his as well. As we unite ourselves with Christ, we make our lives about Christ. But I want to make an important part interesting today, and I think that we miss out on this too. Christ is no longer on that cross. He's no longer on that cross. Some people don't realize that. Some people still look at Christ as if he is still on that cross. 
The enemy has not won. Our sin has, is not reigning, but it has been defeated. And we shout out the praise today, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior Jesus is alive today. He's alive today, and we forever find rest, peace, and joy in that living hope. So today, brothers and sisters, if this is not the first time that you've heard the gospel message, I pray that today this is just revitalizing you. This is just revamping you. This is allowing yourself to get refocused on what it is that Christ did for you and why it should drive our lives. And for us that are in here today, for those of you that are in here today that have never put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and you are who I described today as someone that just feels hopeless, someone that feels lost in their sin, someone that feels like they just don't know where to turn. Maybe today you're here to hear this message of the gospel, of what Christ did for you on that cross and how he rose from the grave to give us hope. I pray today that you have that opportunity and you soak that in and that God would pierce your heart to let you realize that that is what you need to fill that gap that you have in your heart. Because that's why he went. That's why he rose. And that's why he's coming back again to reign and be glorified forever. And we praise his holy name this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now that we just thank you for today. God, we thank you, Father, for your resurrection. God, I thank you, Father, Lord, that you sent your son down to die for us. Lord, we first off just thank you, Father God, for just allowing him to live the sinless life that we could not. And Father God, in, in not being able to live that life, Lord, you unite us with Christ in that perfection. And Father God, as you sent him to the cross, Father God, to die the death that we deserved. Father God, we thank you, Father Lord, that he took those beatings for us. He took your wrath, Father God, so that we would not have to. But Father God, this morning, more than any morning, Father God, we thank you, Father, that that was not the end. That, Father God, that death did not win. And Lord, that you raised him up three days later so that he could be that living, active Christ that we needed him to be. God, we thank you, Lord, that you just demonstrated your power, your sovereignty, Father God, in the resurrection. And Lord, we thank you, Father, Lord, that in the resurrection we find our hope. That living hope that is active and alive today and that we have access to. God, I pray today, Lord, if there's someone in here that has not had that encounter with you, Father, Lord, that you would just press upon their heart the need that they have for a Savior. 
Not a Savior that is dead and inactive, but a Savior that is alive and active. Father God, a living hope that we place our faith in. Father, we thank you so much. And it is in your risen Son's name we pray. Amen.